0: Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to be together with you. And for those of you that are new with us, we're so grateful to share this moment with you and to be together with those of you that are online. So grateful to share this with you. Uh, for those of you that are new in the room, just a reminder to what Joe said earlier. There's a Connect card that's located in the seat back of that chair in front of you. Take a moment this morning, fill that out. And before you leave, go to the welcome table in the back of the room. Give them that Connect card because we have a gift for you. And yes, I tell our guests this almost every week. It is a bribe because we want you to come back. We want to be together with you again Next week, And we hope that we get to have next week together with you again. So, hey, Westside, let's give all of those online and those that are new with us in a room, uh, let them know how glad we are that they are with us and we're with them today. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So today we continue the series that we've called No Days Off, because if you haven't realized this by now, if you're a parent, parenting is no days off. I mean, it's a no days off, coach in your face, push yourself to the limit, no rest for the weary role that we have in this life. This is what we do as parents. This is a no days off gig. And in this, if you're a co-parent, and this is for those of you that are co-parents, if you're a single parent, if you're a step-parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're parenting your kids with your spouse, if, if you have kids in your life, or if you don't have kids in your life, this is for you as well. Because this is going to help you see those in your world and help you see how God sees you. And in this for us as parents, parents as parenting in this role that we have, it, we've seen, like we talked last week, this is a sacred role. It's a sacred role with no days off. And this is why we have to identify the win. How are we going to parent for the win and so here's a series big idea that we believe and and i want you to see as the win for our parenting that our role that we have in parenting and here's a serious big idea that we are to love and lead in our homes the same way our heavenly father loves and leads us that we're to love and lead in our homes the way your heavenly father through christ has loved and led you this is the win that you that you in your home that those in your household that they experience your leadership and they experience your love through the same lens that you have experienced God's love through Christ for you now last week we looked at a section of from the ancient letter that Paul wrote to this church in Ephesus that we've got in our New Testament called Ephesians and here Paul addresses our relationships he addresses relationships specifically he gets to families and then he even talks about those other close relationships that we have in our households as he goes on and throughout the chapter and in, into verse 6 and and as I've been reflecting on this passage of scripture that we looked at last week and we're going to look at again here today um, just for a moment you know I, I I put things to rhythm in my head. It's just how I meditate, and I know it's cheesy, and you get to hear these cheesy things. And and as I was thinking about this this week, it was just, I was going, follow and walk, follow and walk, follow and walk in the way of love, because that's what Paul's saying here. He says, follow Christ, follow God's example. He says, follow God's example as dearly loved children. So follow and walk. Follow and walk. And what, how does that look? And walk in the way of love. Follow God's example. Follow him and walk. Follow him and walk. Follow and walk in the way of love. And this is not just as your mom loved you. This is not as your dad loved you. This is not the, the, the same love that your spouse loved you. This isn't the love that you want other people to love you back in return. It's not the golden rule. This is a bigger rule. This is more important than that. This is, Paul says, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Follow God's example, follow and walk. Follow God's example as children, because that's what children do, by, by the way. Children follow the example of their parents. And we, Paul says, are to follow the example of our heavenly parent, our father in heaven. Now, here's the the reality is we may like this or not like this, but kids are going to follow your example that you set. And I know we teach our kids, hey, do as I say, not as I do, but that's not how they do, is it? I mean, kids, they they respond, and, and we learn this as parents, that we can teach what we know, but our kids are going to... Become who we are. And progressive has showed us that. That was supposed to be funny. The progressive commercials, sorry. That, I didn't say that in the first service. I was a little scared too. Now I know why I didn't. <laughs> you know, we can teach what we know, but we really reproduce whom we are. And we set the example. Really, Whether you like it or not, you set the example that your kids follow. And we should examine the example That we are setting. And this is why Paul says when you follow God's example, when you follow his example and you walk in the way of love, when you follow his example, you'll be the example that you want your kids to follow. Follow and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us. So I want to ask you a question today, a question that I hope that you create as a filter for how you lead and how you love in your home. See, what would it look like? What would it look like for you and your household? And for those of you who are single, for those of you, I want you to think that, that you don't have kids in your room, in your house or yet, and, or at, at all, and it's not, it's not this part of your season in life. This is what I want you to ask. What would it look like for me in, in my circle of influence? Because you have a circle of influence. What would it look like for you to love and to lead in your home the way Christ loves and leads you? What would it look like for us to do that? See, this means something, though. This means we need to know how God loves us. And we need to know how God loves leads us see without knowing how God loves you if you don't know how God loves you how are you going to follow God's example in being the example of love to your kids when you love your kids and if you don't know how God leads you if you don't know how God has led you how are you going to follow his example in leading your children See, the reality is many people don't know how God loves them, or they don't have any, they have wrong beliefs, if you will. They have wrong beliefs about God's love for them, which creates a problem here. It it creates a problem for them in this. See, many people believe lies. Many people believe lies and are insecure in their relationship with God. Because they have a wrong belief about who God is, they believe a lie. And because they believe a lie, then what happens is it creates this insecurity in how they view God. It creates this insecurity in their relationship with God. They think, that, and it's based on their belief of who God is, that God only loves them when they have it all together. That God only loves me when when I, I, I've got it all together. And maybe this is what affected you a little bit this morning as you were getting ready for church. Maybe you thought, man, I, I don't know. Man, I just made some dumb decisions this week. You know, it's just been a bad week. I don't know if, if I could show up yet. You know, I, maybe this, this will keep people, and maybe you're watching online because of this, or maybe you had a friend that you invited, and you knew they needed to be here today, but they kept themselves from coming here today because, you know what, I don't have it all together, and because I, can't, I don't have it all together, we can't be together. See, sometimes we have this view, and maybe you've had that view of God. Maybe you were driving in this morning <laughs> and thought, you know what, just because of the argument I had with my spouse, we need to turn around and go back home because we think that, that God's love for us, and we're insecure in God's love for us. See, we think that our be- since our behavior is bad, then God is mad. We don't, we're not on good terms with God. Therefore, God's not pleased or proud of me because what I did this past week. So many people think that God is proud of them or loves them. Only when their behavior and their performance is godly. But love, see, love is not based on performance, is it? I mean, that's, that's not love. Love is not based on performance. And I'm so glad that God's love for me and God's love for you is not beha- based on what I do or what I've done. I'm so glad that God's love for me is not based on what I do or what I don't do. See, love is not based on what someone does. Love, God's love for us, is not based on my belief and my, my, just my right beliefs or my wrong beliefs. See, God's love is greater, is always greater than my faith in him. God's love is always greater, too, than your behavior. And God's love is always greater because God's love and love, period, is not based On performance, love is based on personhood. See, love is based on who someone is. That's what love is. Love is based on who, not what. God's love is based on who you are. It's who we are that God bases his love. See, God so loved the world because the people of the world are made in his image. And this is the faithful, unchanging nature of God's love that he displayed throughout history specifically to and through a nation called Israel. Since the fall of humanity, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, God has been pursuing humanity. Even though humanity keeps on rebelling against God, God is in this continual pursuit of humanity to show humanity his faithful, unchanging character, which is primarily who he is. And John would tell us in his letters, in his epistle, that God is love. And he wants us to know this. So God, what he did is he made a covenant with this nation called Israel. And God would make this covenant with them and he would tell them the terms of the covenant with this nation of Israel. And the terms of this covenant would, you follow me as king. And when you follow me as king, I will protect you and I will provide for you. But when you reject me as king, when you rebel, I cannot provide for you and I cannot protect you. Just like parents and kids, you know? Like when your kids, are outside your home, you, can pro- you cannot provide for them and you cannot protect them when they're outside of your home. And God had this relationship with the nation of Israel that when, when you follow me, when you're with me, when you're together with me, then I can provide for you and I can protect you. But Israel had this relationship with God which is much like our relationship with our kids. I mean, if you ever had a kid that did something right one day and then totally the next day they were like, did you forget what you did yesterday? Because you're totally not in the same person that you were yesterday. Well, the nation of Israel was like this. They would follow God, and then they would reject God. They would follow God. They would reject God. They would get in a cycle. God would draw them back to himself, and they would repent. They would come back to God, because that's what repentance means, coming back to God. And then they would reject God. And every time they would reject God, God would give them the consequence of the covenant. Because when you reject God, he, then you are not with him. And when you're not with God, you're not around his protection, and you're not in, in, in his provision. You've withdrawn yourself from that. Why? Because you haven't been following him as king and in this they would go through this cycle hundreds of years of this hundreds of years of this wash rinse repeat wash rinse repeat this would go on and the and and now the nation of Israel has rebelled again and there was a prophet named jeremiah he was so broken in this. He was broken on God's behalf because he saw the nation of Israel through God's eyes and his love for them. He saw God as a loving father giving an everlasting, never-ending love to the people of Israel. And this created a burden in him that he, he was so burdened for this rebellious nation of Israel that he was known as the weeping prophet. And so this broken, weeping prophet for Israel... He, he, he wanted what was best for Israel. and so God speaks through Jeremiah. He speaks through Jeremiah to remind them of the covenant that God made with them. and Jeremiah would beg them to, to, repeat, to stop repeating the pattern and come back to God. and in this, that if God, if they would return to God, then God would and follow God as king, then God would provide for them and God would protect them. And so in this, Jeremiah delivers this pivotal message, a very pivotal message to the nation of Israel on God's behalf. And God, through Jeremiah, reminds him of his love for them. And through Jeremiah, he tells the nation of Israel something brand new that is coming. And this is what Jeremiah declares on the Lord's behalf. At that time, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says. The people who survive the sword will find favor in the wilderness. I will come to give rest to Israel. And then Jeremiah recalls something that was written many years before, hundreds of years before. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, and he writes this, he communicates this to the the nation of Israel. I want to remind you of who God is. I have loved you, God said, with an everlasting love love you need to underline circle highlight those words in your scripture however you want to do that i have loved you with an everlasting love i have drawn you with unfailing kindness how has god loved you with an everlasting love and you know what he's also done he's led you he's drawn you he's he's brought you in he's he's leading you with his unfailing kindness God loves us with an everlasting love. See, I'm so grateful that God's love is timeless. It it will last forever. I'm so glad. I'm happy about that. It makes my heart just rest assured that God's love for me is not bound by time. And in this, God has also drawn us. He leads us with his unfailing kindness. This is how God leads you and I. With his unfailing kindness. I love how one pastor talks about kindness. He defines kindness as this, as lending your strength to someone else. This is what kindness is. This means that the one who is kind has more security and and, and is in a stronger position. And out of their stronger position, they lend their strength to the one who is not secure. The Apostle Paul would echo this. See, the Apostle Paul, he would say in, in the beginning of his letter to the Roman church, he would say... That it's the kindness of God that leads you. How does it lead you? He leads you and I to repentance, to come back to him. See, God leads us with his unfailing kindness. His love is everlasting and his kindness is unfailing. See, God the Father's love is everlasting and unconditional. It has no limits on its love. And it's a love without condition. That's why his kindness is unfailing is because his love has no conditions on this. Jeremiah would continue to speak on God's behalf. And he would declare that because of God's love, there would be a new covenant that God would cut one day with all humanity. Because this would be for the whole world. And he would say, the days are coming Declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they. And you need to underline this because this is so important. They will be my people. See, God creates covenants with those he sees as his people. The law. He would say, the law, when this new law is going to, I'm going to put it, make a new covenant. I'm going to give them a new law. And this is not going to be written on paper. It's not going to be written in stone like the Ten Commandments were. This law will be embedded inside of their hearts God saying, I'm going to make a new covenant. And in this new covenant, he wants to make us his people. He says, I want all people to be my people. See, this is God's, the father's commitment. See, God the father is committed to us because he created us to be his people. God's love is for all humanity. Then this new covenant that God would cut would not just be for a nation. It would be for all nations to bring all nations. This is why God chose Israel, to bless all nations through Israel. And here God is prophesying. He's telling the day is coming when I'm going to bring all people, all nations, all tribes, all colors, all tongues, all together in one family to be my people. Because I'm committed to all who are created in my image. All I've created in my image. See, God's love is not based on what you do. God's love is based on who you are. Created in the image of God. Later, the prophet Ezekiel would be God's voice. He he would Ezekiel would be this voice piece hundreds of years later, promising that this new covenant would come with a new heart. See, this will be a new establishment inside of you. You will have a new being. It's gonna be you 2.0. And in this, this is what he would prophesy. And Jesus would come hundreds of years later. Jesus would come teaching about a new kingdom. And he would teach things that he would say, I've come here to fulfill the law and the prophets, that everything the law couldn't do for you, I will do for you. And what the prophets said God would establish in this new covenant, I'm coming to fulfill that. And Jesus would. He would tell a man like Nicodemus, he would say that those of you want to be with me, you're going to be born again. There's going to be a new you. And this is a reflection of the new heart that God wants to give. And then the night before Jesus would go to the cross... Jesus would communicate God's new covenant before the 12 disciples who he would later put in charge of declaring the good news of this covenant, this new covenant to all nations. And he would say this, this is the blood of the covenant. Some manuscripts would say of the new covenant. John would talk about this new covenant in his gospel. Jesus was saying, this is the blood of the covenant. Of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, the disciples in this moment, they knew about Moses' covenant. And and they maybe looked at each other in a little bit of shock and thinking, Jesus, you're establishing a new covenant? Well, what's wrong with the covenant that we already have? And maybe they realized also, and it echoed in the chambers of their mind, that Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they prophesied that God would establish a new covenant because that's only really who can establish a covenant. Only God can establish a covenant. And here Jesus was, God establishing a new covenant. And that is what our Heavenly Father was doing. He was cutting a new covenant with all humanity through Jesus. Matthew tells us that they would leave the room after this supper together and after Jesus would would, uh, share this news with them. They would leave. They would sing. And and Matthew tells us what happens next. And And I want you to just, I want to dive right in here because this is so important. Jesus tells them this very night, to all the disciples, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me for it is written i will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered but after i've risen i will go ahead of you into galilee now these disciples thought that jesus was about ready to bring his kingdom into this world he didn't they didn't realize how he was going to do this through his death and so maybe they were a little confused about this and 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 they were like what now <laughs> you're going to die and now, just before we go on, have you ever had a child make a promise that they'll never do it again? So it's not me, just alone I mean that. Okay, good. So if you ever had a kid say, hey, man, you know, God, hey, dad, mom, can I have the car again? I promise I won't do what I did earlier. Or, you know what, I'm not going to do what they do. You know, I'm, I'm different than them. Just let me go with them. I'm not going to do exactly what they do. Well, Jesus had that moment with his disciples right here. Look what happens next. Peter replies, even if all fall away on account of you, I never, never will. And Jesus looks at Peter, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter, you're going to reject me. Three times you're going to reject me tonight. And we read on, Peter does reject this. But before that, you know, Peter rejects this idea. You got to understand what happens next in the text. See, Peter declares that he's not going to disown Jesus. He will even go to the death with Jesus. He goes, I won't disown you even if it means that I go to the cross and I go to the death with you. But Peter does deny Jesus. Three times we know in the story of this. He denies Jesus and then they would beat Jesus put a cross on Jesus' back, brutally lead him to a place called Golgotha where the author of life would give up his life so he could come back to life and give life to all humanity. And this is what Jesus did. Three days later, he rose again from the dead. Three days later, he comes, and then there's this fun turn of events in the story. And Jesus is on the shore cooking breakfast. He's already revealed himself to the disciples. And the disciples are like, "Uh, we don't know what to do, even though Jesus clearly told them what to do. And they don't know what to do, so they go back to their day job fishing. And they're out fishing. Jesus is on the shore, and they don't know it's him until they listen to Jesus, they obey Jesus, they cast their nets on the other side and they get the most incredible amount of fish that they ever had. And then it's like, oh, that was Jesus. Well, Peter jumps out of the boat swimming to them and then they're on the shore, they're on the shore and Jesus is having this breakfast with them. And and no one dared to ask in this moment who Jesus was. No one dared, they clearly knew who Jesus was. And you know what else no one dared to ask? If Jesus loved them because Jesus clearly demonstrated his love for them in such an amazing way. And then in this very intimate moment that John leads us into, John, John tells us the story about how Peter is there with Jesus, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, "Hey, Peter, do you love them more than you love? Do you love me more than you love them?" And Peter looks like, "Lord, you know I love you." Now three days ago, you know, I know I messed that up, but you know I love you." And then Jesus looks at Peter and says, "Would you feed my lamps?" And then Jesus looks at Peter again. You know, maybe the conversation went, hey, do you love me? And he goes, yes, Lord, I know I love you. And then Jesus looks at him, take care of my sheep. And then a third time, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Now the third time, some people believe it could be to restore Peter because three times he denies him. It could be that. And in this third time, Jesus didn't, he asked Peter again, do you love me? And just notice something. Jesus wasn't asking Peter, do you know I love you? Jesus was asking Peter, "Do you love me?" because it was clear without any doubt that Jesus loved Peter. Because if Jesus didn't love Peter, Peter would not be there and Jesus would not be there with Peter. But Peter, "Do you love me?" "Do you love me?" And John tells us what happens next. Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time. Maybe it was this third one that brought the depth and the conviction in Peter. And he asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Truly, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this, John writes this, to let us in. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Now just pause right here before we go on. Because you remember earlier, Peter said, I won't deny you, even if it means going to the death with you. See, I don't know if I, I won't deny you, Even if it, but he did deny, it, and Jesus restores Peter. And it wasn't based on Peter's love. It was based on Jesus' love for Peter. And then in this, Jesus says, hey, things won't go well for you if you follow me, but I want you to know that you're secure in my love for you. And it's interesting to me that Peter, Jesus only wanted to know Peter's love because you know what love does? Love obeys. Peter wanted, Jesus wanted to know, Peter, do you love me enough to obey me? Do you love me enough to obey me? Are you so secure in my love for you? Because this is what you're going to need. It's going to mean that you're going to give up your life. Will you feed my sheep? And knowing that it leads to this. And then I love this moment. So in this moment, in our language, we've said this, and it's almost like Jesus whispers. No, he does not whisper to Peter now. He says to him, follow me. If you look in the text, there's an exclamation mark because of the emphatic language that is implied here in the Greek. This is a let's go type of moment. This is this rally cry. Now that you know that you're secure in my love for you, Peter, you can be secure in that. And you can love me even to the death, and you can follow follow. You can follow me because I've shown you the most incredible and most incredible sign of my love for you. See, what changed in Peter to where this scared coward would now boldly follow Jesus and obey Jesus to the death? Peter knew he was secure in Jesus' love for him. See, there's something powerful in knowing that you are secure in God's love for you, isn't there? Isn't there something powerful in knowing that you're secure in someone's love for you? See, we are secure in God's love for us because of who we are, not because of what we do. And this is a powerful truth that we need to let sink in, regardless if we have kids or not. We need to let this sink in. We need to take this to heart, that God's love for us is is limitless and His kindness is unfailing. And when we realize that God loves us and we are secure in His love, then you know what happens in our hearts? We're free to obey. When you're secure in God's love for you, you are now set free to obey Him. See, we are free To obey God because we are secure in his unconditional and everlasting love for us. And your kids, you know, they're no different than you. Your kids are no different than you and I are with our Heavenly Father. Children, our children can be insecure in their relationship with us. And they can believe that their parents and our love for them is based on performance. They can have this wrong belief, and we create that wrong belief in in, in how we shepherd them and how we speak to them and how we reward them. And see, we create this this culture in in our homes that that our love for them and our pride in them is based on what they do, not based on who they are. And performance-based love creates insecurity, doesn't it? Performance-based love makes it so insecure for your children. Children can view their parents that they're only proud of them when they perform well, when they do the right thing, that when you bring home the better grade, man, I am so proud of you, and we put our words to this. And kids sometimes only hear that they're loved when they do the remarkable. Man, I love you. I'm so excited, proud of you. See, performance-based love is not true love, is it? Performance-based love is not true love, and this is not who God is. This is not the example we are to follow, however many of us create that culture in our home. See, God is proud of us unconditionally, and he's, he loves us because he sees his image in us. Not because of what we do, but because of who we are. And Here's a teaching big idea that I want you to know today. And this is something that I, I hope you see the whole world through, and I see, hope you see your household through, and those in your homes. That you will be proud of your children and unconditionally love them because they are yours. That this will be the culture that I am proud of you, and I will unconditionally love you because you are mine. This is why Cassie and I, at least once a day, I mean, their day, I mean, several times a week, definitely several times a week, hopefully once a day, that we'll look at each and every one of our kids. And in one way, and you've heard me say this before, hey, Judah, do you know I love you? Do you know why I love you? Is it because you played a great game? Because you played a great game tonight. No, it's not because of that. Genesis, do you know why I love you? You're so talented and you're so smart, but you know, I'm proud of you, but it's not because of that. Jet, you know, you're a handsome guy, and you you love people, and people love you, but you know that's not why I love you. You know why I love you and why I'm proud of you? Yeah, Dad, I know why. That's how they say it now. Because you love me. I mean, because I'm your kid, I'm your son, I'm your daughter. And I'll look at them and I'll go, I don't want you to ever forget. me. Because my love for you is not based on what you do. My pride in you is not based on what you do, how you behave or how you perform. My love for you is because you are my son. You are my daughter. So I have four commitments that I want to help you love and lead in your home the same way God has loved and led you. The first one is this. I will not base my love for them or pride in them on their performance. I will not base my love for them or pride in them on their performance. Stop yourself when you tie your words and tie your actions and your rewards to their performance. It, 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 or, or not, not, But mainly your words, okay? I want you to focus on your words. Stop yourself when you tie. Man, when they do something amazing, when they bring that good report, I'm so proud of you. Just stop. You know what? That made me so excited. I so enjoy watching you work hard, but don't tie your pride. Don't tie your pride and your love. Man, I love you. Man, you did this. I love you so much. Because what you're doing is you're telling them that only when they do the remarkable that you're communicating your love and your pride in them. Put, tie your love to them based on who they are. Don't tie your words that you love them or are proud of them based on who, what they do. Tie it to who they are and tell them over and over again. And use your words to, to tell them how much you enjoy that how, and, and, and how much you love, uh, you not, not love, how much you are excited and, and it brings you such joy. Use those types of words, but try to avoid using the love and proud when connecting to what, you love your kids and their performance. The second thing is this. Is do not tie your security into their performance, but into God's love for you. Commit to not tie your security into their performance. And we've see this all the time. I see this as a coach on the baseball field that that the mom and dad, their security is based on their kids performance. We see this happen at the grocery store. That, that all of a sudden the kid will do something and everybody knows their eyes are on them. And because they're insecure as parents, they take out that insecurity on that child who's just three years old. See, don't tie your security and your insecurities into their performance. But tie your security into God's love for you. See, when we are securing God's love for us, we will provide a stable and secure environment for our kids to know that our love for them is unconditional. And our kindness is unfailing. And then this third one, commit to tell your kids with your words and with your kindness that you love them and that you're proud of them because they're yours. Commit to to tell them with your words and with your kindness. You know, lend your strength to them. Out Out of knowing who you are in Christ, that God is always lending his strength to you. See, kindness is lending someone your strength, and God always lends his strength to you. This is why you will always have what you need in those parenting moments. And put your security in God. And when you're in those moments, you can lend your strength knowing who you are in Christ. Because it doesn't matter what they do. You're loved anyway. It doesn't matter what people think in that moment. You're there for your kids. And you can put your strength. And you can lend your strength to your kids. And you can provide a secure environment. And when you do this, they will fail. And they can fail. And they can confess. And they can follow you in your example. And the last commitment is this. Commit that your children's love for you will not determine your love for them. Just like Peter's love or lack of love for Jesus did not determine Jesus' love for Peter. We need to determine that our kids respond. You know how we show each other, our parents, we love them, is we obey them. This is what Jesus says. How you show, this is how you show my love, your love for me. You're going to obey my commands. Your kids aren't always going to obey you. But you will always love them regardless if they love you in return. And you will be proud. And you will unconditionally love them because they are yours. See, when children feel secure in your love for them, they will obey. And they will follow. Follow and walk. Follow and walk. Follow and walk in the way that your Heavenly Father through Christ... Has loved you. And this is what I want you to do. I just want you to think about this. Maybe you need to respond. Maybe you need to receive God's love because you have been insecure in God's love for you. James is going to sing this song, and I just want you to sing along with him.